and welcome to Is This Good? The show where we boldly, conclusively, and scientifically decide what things in this big wide world are good. I'm Ed Austin, and with me, as always, is production powerhouse Jason Doyle. Hello. Hi, JD. And today's guest makes drinks so sweet and snazzy, the iced tea, the kamikaze, the orgasm, the death spasm, the Singapore sling, the dingling. He's a bartender to the stars, a magazine writer, and the creator and host of two amazing music podcasts that reveal the truth behind some of rock music's wildest untold stories. If you thought Tom Cruise was the last barman poet, then you haven't met this guy. It's Daniel Ralston. Daniel, welcome <laughs> to Is This Good? Hey, Matt. How are you? I do a lot of poetry at the bar. Yeah, a lot of poetry. And people seem to enjoy that? Mm, yes, yes. Especially <laughs> when I just list drinks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the best kind of poetry. I was thinking when I, I wanted to include that great uh, Tom Cruise cocktail poem in this, and I remembered he said Singapore Sling, but then I was like, what does he rhyme that with? So I had to look it up. The Dingling? Is that a cocktail you're familiar with? No. <laughs> and it kind of touches on, <laughs> on something that comes up in my life a lot as a bartender, which is that people will just name a drink they had at some other bar uh -huh. and expect me to know how to make it. And I was like, well, I'm not going to go look at the Cheesecake Factory menu <laughs> to figure out how to make something. Uh, well, we're going to get to your bartending to the rich and famous later in the show uh, during Pick Your Poison. But off the top, I wanted to talk about these music podcasts that you're working on, because I think JD is going to be fascinated by both these stories. So the first one is about the zombies. The zombies are uh, a British invasion band, late 60s. Uh, the album Odyssey and Oracle is an all-timer, ranked 100th on Rolling Stone's 500 greatest albums of all time in 2003, though I have to say, when they redid the list in 2020, got knocked down to 243. So wow. in those years, a lot of classic albums <laughs> came out. Um, if you don't know them, you probably know Time of the Season. That's their biggest song, probably. You know, what's your name? Who's your daddy? Is he rich like me? It's the time of the season for love and... Okay, now you know if you didn't know before. So that's get your guitar. The... Yeah, go get the guitar. Um, that's who the zombies are. But Daniel, who are the fake zombies? Good question. So about six years ago, I wrote a magazine article. Uh, I, heard, I read one sentence in a book about the zombies, a little biography that I bought at a used bookstore that said... A bunch of guys went around America pretending to be the zombies in 1969 and 1970. Didn't really elaborate it on it at all. And I did a very, very deep dive over a couple of years, wrote this story about how there were actually two different groups of guys who went around America pretending to be the zombies. They actually had the same manager operating out of Bay City, Michigan. And one of the fake zombies featured two of the guys from the band ZZ Top when they were in their late teens. <laughs> And uh, despite ZZ Top's reputation for rolling off the Dust Bowl in Texas, they actually spent a year going around America faking British accents and playing zombie songs all over the country. And uh, so, of course, it's possible because at the time there's no internet, um, you know, very little music press. So people have no idea what the actual zombies look like. And I mean, they totally believe that these were the real zombies, right? Yeah, and there's some reasons why it happened at that particular time. The Real Zombies actually had broken up back in England. Uh, their song Time of the Season was a huge hit in America, but they've never really been very big back in their home country. So while this song was climbing the charts in America, 
the real zombies had gone on to day jobs or gone on to new projects. And there was a void of people looking for zombies music. So these guys went around the country. They stuck, they kind of had a home base in Michigan and they uh, toured all over. They almost got caught a bunch of times. And I kind of told the whole story from the perspective of one of the guys who was in this fake zombies with the ZZ Top guys who never made it famous and, and never got to go lead the rock star life. This was like his one chance. So that's obviously a crazy story that people are running around saying, hey, we're the zombies, as if JD and I started a band and we're like, uh, <laughs> we're the Rolling Stones. Um, yes. But the other story that you're working on, these are, these are two separate podcasts that are coming out soon, is way crazier than that. So, JD, if I, if I say Iron Butterfly, what comes to mind? Uh, Indagata De Vida. That's right. 1968, 17-minute long song. I think there was an edited version that actually did climb the charts at the time. And they have a bass player named Philip Taylor Kramer. He dies in 1995. The Iron Butterfly, if you don't know, pro like, Daniel, correct me if I'm wrong, but basically credited with starting heavy metal music or being sort of the progenitors of it. And he dies in 1995 under very mysterious circumstances. How mysterious, you ask? So mysterious that Unsolved Mysteries did an episode about it. <laughs> wow. So what were the mysterious circumstances uh, of Philip Taylor Kramer's death? Well, J.D., I'll try to give you the short version. But after this guy left Iron Butterfly, he uh, got an electrical engineering degree and went to work for Northrop Grunman working on nuclear missiles. At one point, he was one of the only people who knew how to control a nuclear missile. Wow. And then he started a tech company where he basically was pioneering some of the technology we're using today right now for this call, fractal math technology used for encoding. I always tell JD we need better fractal technology right. for this podcast, and he, he, doesn't, he never listens. Yes. Well, this guy hit right at the time where having a bunch of information on a CD-ROM was a very valuable thing to have. Uh, not a lot of people had them in 1989, and he had a company that could make them. They were doing video games, they were kind of cutting edge, and uh, without going into too much detail, he started a tech company that was doing really well, and when he, was, when he disappeared, he was under the influence of the words of a shaman and a, a bunch of other people in his life who had started to influence his thinking, and me and my writing partner, like, we, you know, we're music writers, we write about sort of fun stuff. This was a really fascinating story that I came upon when I was bartending in Malibu. This guy, Philip Taylor Kramer, disappeared in Malibu. And I've spent the past four years basically digging down every possible turn you can on it. And we are, uh, yeah, getting ready to put it out soon. It's a wild story. Is it possible he's still alive? I thought you were going to say he was sitting at the bar that night I was bartending. <laughs> um, and he's a shitty tipper. <laughs> well, when I tell, tell you that this guy was... Um, thinking about really big things towards the end of his life. He told people towards the end of his life that he had invented teleportation. So I will just say that in it, while his physical realm <laughs> expired and was actually found in Malibu four years after he passed away, um, in a metaphysical sense, he continues to live on in a lot of different ways. And we've actually been working with his family on the story to do something that started out kind of as a true crime thing and became something a lot different. Well, just to tease people a little more, can you just tell in like... 30 seconds that the actual death story like how he died you're asking me for some heavy spoilers but yeah his body was found at the bottom of a canyon in, in malibu oh i didn't know that was I, I thought that was on the wiki you can you can find a lot of this stuff on the wiki but even the stuff on the wiki could use its own wiki it's it's a pretty <laughs> deep rabbit hole we've been going down 
Sweet. Okay, so it sounds like JD's hooked. You have a listener. Totally. <laughs> well, JD, I've been listening to you for a long time, so that's only fair. <laughs> all right, some quick housekeeping. First of all, join the Is This Good Patreon. Get the full episodes, get bonus content, and get it ad-free. Chat with me and JD and the other P-Hounds on Discord. Actually, maybe don't chat with JD. I don't know if he's been on there yet, but he'll get. If you join, he'll get on there. <laughs> I'm still learning. He's still learning. Uh, and join our live stream hangout. The next one is Tuesday, April 25th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. So definitely sign up before then if you want to be live with us and ask us questions and be part of it all. Go to patreon.com slash isthisgood. Please send me topics for future shows at isthisgoodpod at gmail.com and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Always nice to see those. Helps people find the show. Daniel, the premise of this show is very simple. I'm going to give you a topic and you tell me if it's good. Here we go. First topic, Walt asks, keeping useful gifts from your ex. And similarly, another listener, Jacob H., asked, continuing to wear clothes your ex gave you. Is this good? So just generally speaking, you're in a relationship, you get a gift from someone, you break up. Do you continue to keep the gift or use the gift or wear the gift, Daniel? I actually think everybody's a little bit too precious about this stuff. I am okay with wearing clothes somebody gave me. I'm okay with using a pot or a pan somebody gave me as a <laughs> thoughtful gift. I actually don't have any problem with it really at all. What if, let's say, your current girlfriend said... I don't know. She found out that this uh, Adidas three-striped shirt that you're wearing was from <laughs> a noted ex. Would she kind of not be psyched to see you wearing it? No, I'd say we're in a good relationship because she would not care at all. But I have definitely <laughs> been in a situation with people who have cared about that kind of stuff. And it's important to be sensitive to other people's sensitivities, I think. But um, like I said, there's a preciousness to these kinds of things. I, I find it to be a little bit of a red flag when people tell me things like, they have songs they can't listen to because of certain mm. people or whatever. I feel like that's sort of similar. It's it's like how much baggage are you attaching to a person that you never met before, but I had a relationship with that, right. you know, obviously ended for a reason as well. I mean, it's sort of funny. It gets a bit of a misdirect because these people are asking like, hey, you got a nice scarf from someone, you know, you broke, they broke up with you, you broke up with them, you're in a new relationship, should you continue to wear it? But what about the things that they're not thinking of? Like, what if you have a set of sheets from your last relationship? Those are coming to the new one. That's way creepier, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Wait, but the I sheets don't... a gift? Yeah. No, no, I'm just saying, like, we're the, um... I guess it's not so much a reminder, but it's a vestige of an old relationship. And it's it's like like if my girlfriend was walking around with a – went on our date night and she was wearing earrings that an ex-boyfriend bought her. I mean I, I wouldn't pay it any mind. But then the first time you go over and you look at that bed, you're like, eh, I don't know. Who's been in here? There's, there's scents. There's memories. Uh, yeah, and switch your washing, your washing machine and washing detergent, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to bleach. You got to bleach. Every, I don't care if those sheets are red. You got to bleach them. Borax, uh, man. You got a yeah. borax, too. Uh, JD, <laughs> so what, does fire. this bother you? Do, you? do you keep gifts that exes have gotten you, or has Rachel kept gifts? No, I don't. Uh, well, that's a great question. I mean, it's been so long, so we've been together over 20 years. We got together in like 96, 97, so Yeah, but you are the kind of person that would wear a t-shirt from 25 years ago. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> very true. 
But I think that those have all cycled out at this point. I have uh, a very different body. I was going to say, due to, <laughs> due to respect for your partner or due to size? <laughs> due to, yeah, size. My size has definitely burst through like the Incredible Hulk over uh, the course of 10, 20 years. But um, I, yeah, I agree with Daniel. I think people are way too precious about this thing. It's a gift. So enjoy the gift. I mean, I guess I kind of thought the question was, are you supposed to give the shit back? Mm. No, yeah. I, I don't think it's not an engagement ring. I don't think you need to give it back. Right. Yeah. Um, when I posed this question on Twitter to get the poll going, uh, someone named Ricky Padilla tweeted at me and he said, the price of this item seems relevant. Expensive watch, definitely wearing it. Average price shirt going in the donate bin. So Daniel's cost have anything to do with this for you? Or if someone bought you a, a slap bracelet, you're still wearing it. <laughs> I'm going to get rid of the slap bracelet because it's a hazard <laughs> to anybody it's under t- 13. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that relationship is 40 years old at this point. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess the, the, the trick of this is does it remind you of them? Less like your partner, but like if some, something's given you a bad memory. But see, like I'm so nostalgic, overly nostalgic. Like I can't really think of a gift that anyone's given me that I still have. Um, but I've kept like old letters, for instance, because I'm old and, and that's still a thing. But it, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, they're in a box somewhere and I just, I think it's just history. Like you just got to keep this stuff. But like, if you're happy and in a relationship, do I ever look at them? No. Right. If I'm lonely and feeling <laughs> nostalgic, do I dig them up on a late night when I can't sleep and, and like torture myself with old memories? <laughs> You got to go live next time you do that. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just say one thing? I would never, I would never seek anything out. Like if somebody bought me a gift, a gift, let's say a coat, I left it at their house and then we broke Mm -hmm. up. I would never be like, by the way, you have that coat you bought me. I would never (laughs) do that. But if I have it, I'm definitely not giving it back. Well, no, for sure. But I see, I was just reminded of a situation. I, okay, fine. I'll tell the story. Here's when right. here's when being nostalgic works out in the end for you. Okay, this is a sad story, happy ending. So, um, Jill, my current girlfriend, we broke up 2019, and I don't know if you know this, JD, but we broke up on my birthday, which is sad. Uh, did I know that? And that sounds familiar. It just it's, it has nothing to do with my. I don't give a shit about my birthday. Uh, it's not it's not like I'm like, oh my god on my birthday, but. Uh, <laughs> As she's leaving, she had a gift for me, right? So we break up. She's walking out the door, and then she's like, oh, well, I guess I should give you this gift anyways. And I was like, eh, you know, you don't have to. She's like, well, it's not really anything I can return anyways, so here, you you have it. So she leaves. I'm, you know, I'm a mess. I'm crying. I open the gift. What is the gift? It is a lovely photo album that has been, like, professionally printed of uh, <laughs> memories of this road trip we took. So now I'm like, oh, my oh. God. Fuck, like I definitely now I feel like, you know, even more of an asshole and I definitely do not want this. But I can't throw this out, right? So, you know, Walt and Jacob H, they want me to throw this out. I can't throw it out, but I, I don't want to look at it either. So I put it in a drawer. I say if I'm not looking at it, you know, I won't know it's there. Mm-hmm. But then, like three years later, we get back together, and now because I didn't throw out this gift from my ex, I still have a wonderful keepsake. Mm. That's great. 
<laughs> Isn't it though? <laughs> I mean, why not? I mean, it sounds like the perfect breakup gift too. It's like, yeah, it's a oh, party you're breaking gift. up with me? Okay, well here here's our here's recent memories of our time together. It's like your life flashing before your eyes before the death of the relationship. It's great. Yes, it's it's quite beautiful. Well, eighty percent of people on Twitter said keeping gifts from your ex is good. So okay. they agree with all of us. Keep everything. Don't throw anything out. Become a love hoarder. That's right. Um, in honor of the start of baseball season, Dale C wrote in to ask the wave. Is this good? So obviously we all know what this is, uh, but he continues in an email. My friends and I have been debating this for years. I love baseball and going to see my team, the Toronto Blue Jays live, is always a high point in my year. The atmosphere of a live game is something that cannot be beat, except for one thing. I fucking hate the wave. It's distracting (laughs) to me and others like me who are trying to actually watch the game. Either I have to do it and be distracted, or I ignore it and look like a curmudgeon. But even then, I have someone standing in front of me and blocking my view. I understand I'm in the minority here, but I think the wave should be banned. So tell me, is the wave good? I mean, the first thing I would say is, do we think this guy's in the minority? I thought that the culture had shifted away from the wave, and there was a general sense that the wave is bad. But maybe I'm wrong. Daniel, what are your thoughts on this? I think the general consensus is that probably that the wave is bad, but it has not ceased the wave from happening at basically every baseball game ever. <laughs> Much like the ocean, you can't stop the wave. <laughs> yeah. And I would also say that the wave at a baseball game seems the most appropriate place for it, but th- I did see people doing the wave at a U2 concert at the Rose Bowl, which I found a little <laughs> bit weird. <laughs> Was Bono giving a speech about, like... Um... I don't know, some kind of healthcare initiative he's launching as people did the wave. He didn't seem to really notice. The show is very choreographed, um, but I guess it just pops up here once in a while. And JD, where are you on the wave? I'm with uh, the emailer um, that in that it should die. It should go away. Not be banned. You can't ban the wave. That's yeah. I don't think people are saying that there should be legislation, but yeah. But what I do, th- I think the wave is useful in in a sarcastic way. Do you know what I mean? Like our team is getting their asses handed to them, and we're so bored, we're doing the wave. So fuck you, our own team. Do you know what I mean? Like that's how it should be used. Okay. Not not out of boredom because of the a game. condescending wave. Yes, a condescending wave. Exactly. <laughs> and sarcastic. Just like yeah, like like they were they were doing so badly. The Raptors lost so badly. That the crowd started doing the wave. I mean, that's just a, a slap in the face. That's like insult to injury to your team. It's it's better than booing your team because it seems like a cheer, but it's actually we're using this outdated, stupid thing to to shove it in your face and let you know how displeased we are. You, do you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying, but didn't you love the wave as a kid? I certainly did. It was, I would go to the like see the Expos play before they left, and I'd be excited when the wave would happen. I'd be like, oh my god, it's over there. It's starting. I can't wait till it gets to me. Exactly. I want to be perfectly in sync. So, I mean, what does that say about you, JD, that you got old and hardened and you couldn't wear the <laughs> no. old Blue Jays t-shirts from 30 years ago? I got, I, I, well, that your ex gave you. Gift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your ex, it's, Roberto Allen. Roberta Alivar. <laughs> Roberta Alivar. Uh, hey, I've, I yes, I got old, but I grew. I grew out of the wave, and so did you. It's a childhood thing. I mean, I've been watching a lot of Premier League and soccer stuff. Yeah, I know. It's my kids totally into it. So, like, uh, Saturday this new mornings, generation. Yeah. 
They're into it. So there's the soccer stuff there. I mean, talk about distracting crowds, like nonstop hammering of drums and chants and songs. And you go to Atlanta United and you're sitting near the end zone or whatever they call it, the baseline. Mm -hmm. Flags constantly. Like, forget about a guy standing up in front of you every so often for the wave. Like, those flags are about six feet tall and constantly waving. Like, I don't know how those people watch the games from there. So So you're saying even the flags are waving. That's how good the wave is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm saying there are way better things. There's way better (laughs) things than the wave to show your appreciation for your, for your, uh, your team. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. You're giving yourself over to the moment a little bit, I guess is would be the pro of the wave. It's like, you're going to a baseball game. You accept that maybe regardless of if there's a wave, somebody might stand up in front of you and annoy you the whole game anyway. That's always a crapshoot. And the wave is just, yeah, I don't know. I guess I probably will participate in it. I don't get the guy saying he worries about being perceived as a curmudgeon by everybody else. Like everybody's going to forget you five seconds later anyway. It's not going to matter. Well, he'll know it in his heart. Um, but How are they even f- squeezing the wave into the new game anyways? The games are down like 31 minutes by, on average because of the new rules in baseball. Oh, right. But you can wave at any time. And there's also the seventh inning stretch. Oh, I guess you're singing like Sweet Caroline or something during that. <laughs> if you could combine the wave and Sweet Caroline, that would be, that would be wonderful. Um, so speaking of baseball season, I don't know if I said it at any point in the show, Daniel, but we are friends. We see each other often in L.A., have had many uh, porch beers at your apartment. And you happen to live very close to Dodger Stadium, as do I, just on opposite sides of it. And you know when the season starts because traffic becomes hellish uh, in our neighborhoods. Um, so I want to give you 30 seconds, however long you need to rant about Dodger traffic and the things that you've seen happen on your street during baseball season. Sure. Um, first of all, (laughs) (laughs) love to all of my Los Angeles neighbors, uh, you're wonderful people, but I just want to say that if you are going to a Dodger game, driving up one of the hills towards the stadium, and particularly I would say if you're in a Tesla, And you have to um, either make a number one or a number two. Do not just get out of your car and do it on the side of a building that you see, because it is probably somebody's house. Uh, More specifically, your house. uh, (laughs) Across the street from my house, yes, there's a dumpster that people like to use. I've even seen people get out of their cars with toilet paper, like they have this all planned out (laughs) ahead of time. And it's really sad and depressing, and I wish everyone would stop doing that. Thank you for letting me do a PSA. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry. Just to just – there's somebody getting out of their Tesla and then taking a shit next to a dumpster mm-hmm. across the street from your house. Well, you're I've saying rich it. people don't eat to shit, J.D.? That's They're what makes us human. maybe an hour and 15 minutes of traffic to get up to the stadium. They have lost all chances to be able to use any other restroom. I've had people offer me money to come in and use mine, which I would, of course, never agree to, uh, unless we're <laughs> flashing some serious cash. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's sort of how it happened. I mean, obviously, uh, somebody going pee is way more common, uh, especially like an emboldened drunk Dodger fan right before the game starts is like, hey, I'm just going to get out. Nobody's going to see me. And we always see you. Every time. Wow. So this is coming back or going to the... Bo- must be bo- coming back. Both, both but most, mostly on the way. 
Because that's where really? people really get jammed up traffic-wise. And maybe jammed up another way, too. <laughs> and they've been, like, uh, you know, pre-drinking. Yeah. Because there's a lot of bars near the stadium. So that's, yeah, fair enough. that's what happens. Um, so 53% of people say the wave is good. Probably 99% of people say pissing on Daniel's lawn is not good, though. So that's where we stand on that. Um, next question. Tribute bands, are they good? So... Let me say I want to distinguish tribute bands from cover bands. So I would say like a cover band is just a band, maybe they play in a bar, and they just cover anyone's songs. They're doing CCR and the Beatles and whatever. A tribute band is playing only one band's songs, and they're trying to emulate them in every way. So like if it's a Guns N' Roses tribute band, the the guy's going to be dressed as Axl Rose, and he's going to be doing that snake dance and you know, the guy that's playing Slash is going to have the hat. I'm talking about, they, they've also got like probably a punny name. Like here's some good ones I found on the internet. Proxy Music, The <laughs> Foe <bad>. Fighters, Deft <laughs> Leopard, Oasis, <laughs> The Rolling Clones. God, these are, these are gold. Uh, but um, Daniel, tribute bands, what say you? Uh, very positive pro tribute band. Um, my favorite tribute band name is an REM one called Are We Them, which I always thought oh, was a pretty a, good, like a good one. Um, I appreciate the level of commitment. I played in an Oasis tribute band for one show a couple years ago, did the full deal. Singer was dressed like Liam. Uh, she did an amazing job. It was really fun to do. And there's something about stepping into like another band's catalog that's really fun. And we were lucky enough to play in front of a bunch of people who liked Oasis uh, so we had like a hundred people singing along to their B sides and stuff like that, which was pretty great. And but yeah, in general, very pro tribute band, pretty anti cover band, I would say. Oh, mm. interesting. So you prefer mm. tribute band, Jade? You you played in some cover bands. Have you ever played in a tribute band? Uh, no, never. Okay, well, what are your thoughts? Very, very up on tribute bands, and I'm up on cover bands too. I've never not had a good time. Like Yacht Rock Review. That's mm-hmm. a cover band, right? Or so it's is interesting, it? interesting mm. you say that. They're riding a line because they're not playing. Uh, this is a band from Atlanta that, that tours a, a ton now, and they play yacht rock songs. So they'll play, like, you know, whatever. Holland Oates and Brandy, You're a Fine Girl, and Michael McDonald Cross, and stuff yeah, like that. that so they're not, like, one specific band, but they are all dressed in, like, sailor sort of captain's gear. Um, so I would say they're a tribute to yacht rock. Yeah, yes. they're a genre, a genre tribute. A genre tribute, yes. But, but we've uh, seen them, like, I've seen them do the entire Thriller album, for example. Yeah, that's true. Or the, the entire Purple Rain album, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's so, yeah, But true. yeah, that's a good, the way you described it is great, because they are definitely a tribute band, but they they do a lot of covers. Either way, I'm into it. I like cover songs. I like covers. I like when big bands do cover songs. I like it when I'm in a bar and there's a really good cover band because I know all the songs. I don't care. I'm too old to learn new music. You know what I mean? Like, I do know what you mean. I'm, I'm resisting that with every fiber of my being. Well, I know, but you're, you'll get there. You'll get there. Okay, so I, you got, what, <laughs> nine, ten years on me, so that's how yeah. long I have to... How about that, yeah. Okay, I got to... Yeah. It's like, if I don't listen even, to Wet Leg now, JD, I'll never get a chance. Even like, even the you know the bands that you like, and that there a new thing comes out that they've done, that you band that you love, 
and you'll mm-hmm. be like, oh, I'd just rather listen to Siamese Dream or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know, of course, I know what you mean. But I, I mean, I was thinking about this tribute bands thing because uh, a friend invited me to go see a Strokes tribute band, um, and they're called Juicebox, named after, in my opinion, one of their worst songs off their third album. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I was trying to think, like, is this something I would enjoy? Because my instinct was, I- I'm not going to like this. But then I looked them up. And I was watching a video clip of them and, you know, like a classic tribute band, like the guys dress up as Julian Casablancas. They're all wearing a lot of leather. They're all wearing skinny jeans. And he's doing, you know, the, the Casablancas voice. Mm-hmm. And if I close my eyes, I'm like... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was like, if I close my eyes, this isn't... I can't say this is bad. And right. I can't say it doesn't sound like them. And it threw me into a real existential tailspin about, like, what what is music? Because, like, let's say I was there and I was blindfolded. I'd be super stoked <laughs> to see The Strokes. Um, <laughs> so if you were like, I'm taking you to see The Strokes and you blindfold me and I'm listening to it, I'd be like, wow, I'm, I'm so happy I'm here. And everyone around me would be singing along. Then I take the blindfold off and I'm like, who the fuck is that guy? Hmm. And now suddenly it, it's bad? Do you know what I mean? Like, why does it... In a sense, why why does it even matter who they are? Like, talking about Oasis, Daniel, like, we've been talking about, are they going to tour? And I would be so excited to see them. Never mind that tickets will probably be, like, $800 a ticket. But in any case, they're not, like, I mean, maybe you'll disagree with me. They're not, like, a particularly amazing live band. Like, <clears throat> Liam will just say the name of the song, launch into it. But, like just the thrill of seeing them, seeing everyone so excited and singing along would be an amazing experience. But how, why is that so different than just seeing an amazing Oasis cover band? It's actually even better. It's better seeing the cover band because the Oasis cover band is happy to be there and happy to be playing those songs. (laughs) Well, okay. Okay. Uh, Daniel, any thoughts on that? On my existential dilemma? Yeah. You got to take it back. I feel like you got to zoom out a little bit. You're, you know, I don't okay. know if you saw, but like this week, there's all this stuff about how there's a Drake and Kendrick Lamar AI created song that's like climbing up TikTok charts. And there's an Oasis AI album that they just reported on in the Guardian. So what you're saying is essentially, why does it need to be them making the music for me to enjoy it? And the answer is because right. it is them. And I think while you could maybe qualify Oasis as like not a f- particularly energetic live band, you're not going to get the same thing from the tribute band that you're going to get from Liam with his arms behind his back and his neck craned up to the microphone, making that weird sound that comes out of his mouth that somehow is a good voice. Like, it it is a pretty remarkable thing to see. Um, But then you also, if you think about, like, how the tribute band thing kind of started, um, it kind of started out of bands like Pink Floyd where the real band couldn't get along. So these people who were incredibly skilled musicians were like, we're going to recreate these albums note for note. I think there's probably five different touring Pink Floyd tribute acts out there. Well, you know, and, like, and then we're, and then also like Roger Waters, he's touring. He isn't Pink Floyd. There's right. other people in, a, in the band. He's but yet Pink I would Floyd. also say that's not... Okay, <laughs> he, is, he is Pink Floyd. Um... You know what? I, I don't know. I don't have much more to say on it. I just know that it's really turning my head in circles here. Because even when like a band replaces like the lead guitarist in the band, I'm still like, uh, like, or let's say like 
Dave Navarro joins the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay, this is a bad... Oh, no, that's a good example, because, like, the original Frusciante Chili Peppers are good. I know J.D., that's one of his favorite albums, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. For sure, yeah. But then you'd be psyched to see them, and then you show up and Dave Navarro's on stage. Maybe he's he's playing the solo from, you know, Under the Bridge, note for note, but still doesn't feel the same, does it? I mean, yeah, I I hear what you're saying. But then again... There's a great documentary about the making of Blood Sugar Sex Magic. It's called Funky Monks. And basically, it's the recording of the the album, which was in Harry Houdini's old house that they rented. They went and lived in it. And uh, they basically captured lightning in a bottle in that house. Uh, Ruben was – I think it was Rick Ruben was the producer of that, right? Is that mm-hmm. right? I think yeah. so. He, anyway, uh, it's all about the making of that album. And when I, live, I listen to those songs, I picture them in that house. That's where I want to be. I want to be in that house when they're recording that album. Everything else after that is just a recreation. So if it's Dave Navarro playing note for note, John's solo, then what, do, what it doesn't matter to me. It's not the same as the recording. That's the piece of art, and I'm just always seeing a reproduction of it. So at the, at the end of the day, I don't even care. I'm almost more into a tribute band because I'm going to see it in a smaller venue. Yeah. Okay. And also, so Anthony Kiedis see... can't sing in tune. Okay. But a, a, an actual... <laughs> An actual singer doing Chili Peppers songs probably is going to sing it better than Anthony Kiedis. Um, so you're going to go see the Chili Peppers tribute band that's probably going to be called the Funky Monks. <laughs> that exists. There's at yeah. least five Funky Monks yeah. touring uh, the country right now. JD, I feel the need to tell you, I have bartended at Harry Houdini's house. You oh, can really? Now, you can now rent it out for private events, and it is crazy. There's a coffin-shaped pool. And there is the well where he used to practice his tricks still on the property, which is pretty wild. Amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, illusions, Daniel. Illusions. Uh, <laughs> 54% of people say tribute his gags, gags are... His gags. <laughs> Harry Houdini, famous for his goofs and his gags. <laughs> Um, 54% of people say tribute bands are not good. So they're, wow. they're, not, they're not with us on this one. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, Daniel, perfect timing with the Harry Houdini bartending stuff because we're about to get to that. It's time for the Is This Good segment where, unfortunately, everything's bad. It's time to pick your poison. So here's how it works. I'm going to give you related options that are all bad, and you have to pick your poison. So whichever you consider the least worst option. But this time I have a few different scenarios to take you through. Um, They're all about bartending. I'm going to tell you that now. But before we get there, let's establish your bartending bona fides. Um, I can't tell. Do you want to start by telling us the story about how Will Smith almost got you fired? Uh, (laughs) Sure. Um, (laughs) Last year, I bartended the Oscars. uh, And I was working in a room that was reserved for people who were, like, nominated and 
or had won <laughs> or were like the agents of those people. So <clears throat> when the slap happened, I was face to face with like um, several A-list movie stars, like handing them tequila on the rocks as it was happening. It's a very strange moment. And um, obviously kind of a crazy night. After I got home that night, I posted an anonymous tweet about how the room kind of shut down a little bit after the slap happened, everybody stopped drinking. And then I posted a blind item about a celebrity couple who asked me where they could smoke cigarettes. Uh, and they wanted to be taken out to the dumpsters where the bartenders smoke, which I thought was pretty cool. I did not name them or anything. And I woke up the next morning and the two tweets each had about 250,000 likes on them. And I did not know that I was going to get in trouble for posting those things. So about five minutes after I had gotten myself uh, settled in the morning, I got a call from my boss who was like, you need to take those tweets down right away. Our, the bosses are all super mad about it. And it actually ended up all kind of blowing over. But... I did get a pretty stern uh, verbal reprimand for talking about my Oscar night. The the funniest thing to me was this: this was written up in newspapers, like the New York. It was in the New York Post. Um, and my favorite line from the New York Post story has a picture of Daniel in it, and it says, "In a second deleted tweet, Ralston reportedly wrote that the nicest celebrities of the night were Rami Malek and Reba McIntyre. It's unclear what prompted Ralston to remove the tweets." But he subsequently posted another message stating, quote, the lesson here is never to tweet. <laughs> what an article. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the most bizarre experiences of my life, uh, for sure. And Robbie Malik and Reba McIntyre both were incredibly nice. And I refuse to believe that you can't post a nice tweet about somebody. It seems like such a weird thing. Anti-slander. Um, but so you were mentioning before where you heard the story about Iron Butterflies, Philip Taylor Cranber. You were a bartender at a pretty fancy hotel bar in Malibu. Uh, any celebrity stories, good tippers you want to shout out here? Because, hey, on this podcast, you could say nice things about celebrities. You could also say things about celebrities that want to smoke if you want. Uh, well, if you want to see celebrities smoking, just drive down Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu and look outside of houses. You'll see somebody. Um, Matt and I have talked to this about this before because I am a, an occasional smoker working on quitting right now, actually. Uh, but in Los Angeles, being a smoker, you're the least popular person alive until like 9 p.m. And then everybody wants to be your best friend and pump a cigarette for you. And also very true bartending in Malibu because I would leave a little pack sticking out of my pocket and the closest gas station was a half mile walk and people would often want to give me $20 for one cigarette just because they didn't want to walk. Um, <laughs> you know what we should do? We should bundle. You get a cigarette and you get to pee in your house and that's 50 bucks bundled. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you a, a wrapped sandwich on your way out for sure for good measure. Um, but yeah, as far as like people who would come in, my number one nicest regular was Denise Richards. Um, who I think a lot of people maybe have a perception about from being on reality TV or whatever, but she's incredibly... A perception cool. that perhaps she's a bit of a wild thing. <laughs> yeah, yes. I always really enjoyed her company, and then I would have Rod Stewart pretty often, too, when he was in town. And he would do funny things like answer the phone in the hotel lobby just for fun and be like, Hi, Malibu Inn, this is Rod Stewart speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is the Malibu Inn. Do you think I'm sexy? <laughs> <laughs> but a really, a really nice guy. Okay, really nice guy. Good well, I hope her. you tweeted him, 
treated him well, and I'm glad he treated you well. Um, let's get to some of these scenarios. So I have three different groupings here. The first one, here are your options. Making a drink and having the customer ask you to, quote, make it strong. Someone ordering drinks all night, but closing their tab after every drink. Or option number three, a customer berating you after getting cut off. So which is the least worst of these three things? And if you want to tell me what you think the worst is, go right ahead. So you got making it strong, uh, closing their tab every time they buy a drink and they're drinking all night, and someone berating you after you cut them off. Um, I would say the first one is the easiest to deal with. Okay. The make it strong thing, because a lot of times I feel like a bartender's job is to establish order at a bar. And if the person coming into particularly the kind of places that I've worked and work now, if they say that, I'm going to kind of let them know that they're in the wrong place. I'm going to tell them we make all the drinks the same or they're always strong or something like that, where I'm just going to get that problem out of the way as fast as I can. The closing the credit card thing honestly doesn't bother me because I think it's better than somebody leaving it open or forgetting their card or looking at the bill at the end of the night and being like, how did I rack up $350 here? I don't understand it. If it's, and also it could be a personal finance thing. Somebody maybe doesn't want to go over their checking account limit, something like that. And then the third one, getting berated after getting cut off, that's the worst one because you are kind of at that person's mercy for at least a few minutes while they get out whatever's in their system. And we actually do get trained to deal with stuff like that. I usually will try to incorporate somebody's friends who maybe seem a little bit more sympathetic into the, the equation to get them out. But that's my le that's definitely my least favorite. So easiest to deal with is definitely just the make them strong. But it is annoying. JD, you slang some drinks. What mm -hmm. uh, what did you do when people said, ah, make it strong? Come on, man. <laughs> I don't know. I just slipped into Joe Biden there. <laughs> hey, listen, Mac. Come on, man. <laughs> listen, Mac. Come on, man. First thing, you call him Corn Pop, and then you get going. There's no tequila. It's tequila soda, Mac. Um, how would you deal with that? Uh, generally, I would just make it strong, you know. I, oh, okay. Like, That's an easy way to deal with like, it. Okay, too. sure. You like it the way I like it. Perfect. Uh, yeah. yeah, but usually, I think uh, Daniel has the right response. It's just like um, everything's made the same way. Uh, all the drinks are strong. You know, it's different when you're working. Uh, I worked in uh, Toronto, Ontario, where the liquor laws are pretty strict, actually. You know, like an ounce and a half for a drink, you know, and, and then two ounces for a double at the time. I don't, I don't think that's changed. Um, but, you know, uh, if you, can I if ask you, you a question? Can you explain to me the math where a single is 1.5, but a double is two? <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, – yeah. Sorry. Did it, uh, I think it's an ounce and a quarter was the maximum. But generally speaking, it would be an ounce per uh – -huh. You know, so a rum and coke. You order a rum and coke, and it's in a, even in a small rocks glass. If once you add the coke, it doesn't. T it's not very strong. You know, mm. so we would have Americans come in and be like, uh, "Did you even put rum in this?" Because, as you know, Matt, when we moved to Atlanta, like that's why we moved. That's exactly <laughs> why we we're like, this is awesome. You need a half ounce. You need that half ounce. No, I, I, we would, I, you know, I would drink a lot of like bourbon on the rocks uh, at the time. At the time, still do. Um, but uh, just don't go to bars anymore, really. But uh, you would order it, and then the glass it would be in a rocks glass and be filled to the top. Completely whereas, like, full. Yeah. in Ontario, it would be like a finger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, anyways, that that is was a great perk of moving here. Mm -hmm. All right, second group of scenarios, Daniel. 
Someone yelling at you to get your attention. Okay, let's picture a busy bar. It's a Friday night, okay? Someone yelling at you to get your attention. Someone snapping at you to get your attention. Someone waving money to get your attention. Pick your poison. So yelling, snapping, or waving money? Snapping like actual snapping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the worst one. I would never even look at that person in a million years if they were snapping at me until they stopped snapping. I wouldn't even make eye contact, which is our, really our one great defense as bartenders, is the yeah. lack of eye contact. Um, that is definitely the worst one. The yelling, okay. I sort of understand, um, especially if it's busy and crowded. I, somebody, that definitely tone of voice being factored into that for sure. Um, waving money, wave that money in my face, baby. I will take you first. Yeah. I'm okay with that one, and I don't mind it at all. Uh, what, what if you've been ignoring the snapping guy all night, but then you find it, it, it's just like uh, only the good Die Young's been playing. He's like, come out, Virginia, <laughs> If he's singing around a big trash can on fire, I'll, I'll take care of him with the snapping. <laughs> do do whopping to get your attention? <laughs> Highly encouraged. Yeah, the low-voiced guy comes in at the end and just sort of like, we need help. <laughs> just bring it in his own street lamp to stand yeah. under. Yeah. Uh, all right, so JD, you're you're agreeing on this one? Uh, yeah, hundred uh, percent. Money is the best. Uh, snapping. I mean, I've snapped back at people before. Yeah. Like, and then just walk by them and then not serve mm-hmm. them. I, also, I will. Getting back to cutting people off, I will cut people off for that. I'm like, you are obviously drunk, sir. You will not be getting anything from me. It's too bad in your day this this snap didn't exist. <laughs> the, the cross body. <laughs> no, you didn't snap. Because that's that would have been yeah. you could have used that in your well, arsenal. Yeah, you're right. You know, guys. One thing I do see a lot that's sort of like this is I'll see a guy. Maybe maybe he meets a girl at the bar that night, right? And then he's decided that she's not um, proactive enough to get a drink for herself, and he'll be like, "My friend, she's been waiting." Like, right. like, kind of giving me the. And I'm like, yeah. yes, everyone has been waiting. I see her too. I know. I know. Okay. Well, we're getting to that in our next group of okay. uh, pick your poisons here. Okay. Customer complaining that you served someone before them. Customer reaching over the bar to grab something. Maybe a straw. Maybe a napkin. Maybe even a garnish. Or a customer sitting at the bar, continually ripping up a coaster. <laughs> So you got uh, complaining that you served someone before them, reaching over the bar, or ripping up a coaster. And you're a good bartender, so you slip them another one. Next thing you know, you turn around, that, that coaster's all ripped up, like some kind of demented origami. Gotta have an important caveat question on the coaster. Are okay. they leaving it there for me to clean up, or are they putting yes. it in their glass at the end? Mm. No, no, no. They're they're not moving it. They're ripping, ripping, they're, and they're mm. like seeing how high can I stack this thing. Maybe they're they're Cheryl Crow style peeling their labels off their bottles of Bud, adding that to the pile, <laughs> just sort of a making a, a beautiful sculpture. Yeah, I don't think she peeled the bottle of Bud in the in that song. I think it was Billy oh, or Billy. Mac yeah. or Mac. Yeah. One of those. <laughs> I'm sure it was <laughs> Billy or Mac or something. Yeah. Um, okay, so the coaster. Feels like the worst one to me, knowing that I'm gonna have to clean really? up somebody's basically like chi- like a child's mess. Uh huh. You know. Okay. I think that's that's the worst. What were the other ones? I would have thought it was grabbing something, like reaching over and grabbing something, because that's your domain. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, people will sometimes give the eye, like, I'm going to get a napkin. I'm going to get it straight. I'm like, okay. If they grab a bottle, I'm shutting the bar down. Yeah. Like, it's uh-huh. going to it's gonna be... And I've had people do that at private events, where, like, the bride and groom have asked for 45 minutes while they do speeches and no drinks, and people will go and just take a bottle off the shelf. Because they feel like they're the invited guest of the person, and I'm just some bartender. That It's going to be on if that happens. There's going to be a problem, for sure. I feel like that one... Somebody grabs a napkin, an orange, whatever. I'm sure people have done that a million times without me noticing. So it's hard for me to get like too mad about it. I'm taking my gift back if I'm at a wedding and they shut the bar down for speeches. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's got to be quiet, JDP. It's hard to get people quiet Ugh. unless you close down the bar. Yes. Well, you know, it's usually the parents who are paying for the wedding and they kind of dictate the, oh, we like to have 45 minutes of decorum here, maybe, where your friends aren't like <laughs> hanging off the chandeliers or whatever. Well, then they better have like servers walking around with champagne flutes for everybody. They do that a lot, for, for sure. Stuff. Yeah. yeah so, okay. Right. Okay. Giving you a good American pour of that <laughs> champagne. Um, all right. That was Pick Your Poison. And now for the segment where we don't ask if things are good, Daniel. We ask if they're gross. Unsurprisingly, it's called Is This Gross? And this one's for the Patreon sickos only, the peahounds. If you want to join, go to patreon.com slash is this good. All right, well, that was Is This Gross? And if you want to hear the whole show, go to patreon.com slash is this good? And you can hear it. And you could hear about when I used Daniel's toothbrush uh, at a Garth Brooks concert. <laughs> and why you don't eat the chips at a child's birthday party, okay? Mm. There's a lot of useful information in that segment. Uh, all right, Daniel, there's only one thing left to do before we let you go, and that's play subjective trivia. <laughs> So subjective trivia is just like regular trivia, except only I know the answer. So what was on my mind this week was big event in Southern California, Daniel. The Coachella Music Festival is uh, on. Well, it's just finished. And I was looking at the rundown, and I noticed a lot of bands were all caps lock. Like, the entire name is in caps lock. So today's question is, which of these all caps lock bands do you think is best? Now, my only rules were it had to be a band that was in all caps lock and I had to have never heard of them. And here they are here. I'm going to guess that you've never heard of them, but after I read them, you tell me if that's true. Here are the all caps band names. IDK, Braddy, Drama, 1999 Point Odds, that's one name, and Pasa, that's P-A-W-S-A. So first question, Daniel, have you heard of any of these bands? I have not. Okay, thank God. JD, I don't even need to ask you. Um, so Daniel, <laughs> which of these all-caps bands do you think would be best? If, if you were at Coachella, which one would you circle on your schedule and make sure you were lined up in the Sahara tent early to see? Um... There's no none of the above option here. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, you have to pick one. Um, I'm going to see 1999.odds. <laughs> okay. Any any reason why? M- more out of revulsion for all the other names. Pasa sounds too much like a pet organization. Drama uh-huh. and Braddy feel very basic. And IDK could not have less effort put into it, literally, I think. <laughs> Yeah, as if someone was like, well, oh, 
the, the album's coming out. You got to come with a name. And he's like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Wait a second. Uh, so, JD, which of these bands uh, are you seeing? Which one of these do you think is going to become your new favorite band, even though you don't listen to new music? Well, I I can't go with 1999 dot or point odds because I'm already confused as to how to say it. You said points, Matt. Daniel yeah. said dot odds. So I, which is it? Well, uh, we don't know. But we I'm also know. getting it confused with 90s Canadian uh, indie <laughs> rock sensations, The Odds. Yes, exactly. And that's actually, they had some good songs. I'd see The Odds, for sure. Would you see um, an odd tribute, an odds tribute band called Evens? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the name of uh, Ian MacKay from Fugazi's other band, Evens. So oh, damn. Oh, damn. Yeah. All right, we're going to go with Funky Monkeys then. All right, so <laughs> Daniel's going with 1999 dot or point odds jd what's i'm your going answer? a I, literally idk so i don't know i'm going idk well unfortunately you're both wrong ah. i can't believe this is my answer but the answer is bratty wow okay I'll t- i'm gonna tell you why <laughs> i think when i hear bratty i hear snot nose energetic distorted guitars mm-hmm. okay and there's very little of that at Coachella or in music in general anymore. Um, so I feel like that will be a nice little palate cleanser and it'll be something that I might actually enjoy. Drama, I, it's too annoying. I don't know. Maybe that's like a husband wife group uh, or something. Um, RJ Blige tribute album. Or, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some more uh, drama. <laughs> some more drama. <laughs> uh, 1999 odds. Don't know how to say it, and again, confusing with the great Canadian band and Pasa. I don't know. It sounds yeah, like well, a, yeah. sounds like Fupa to me. I don't know. Just not not enjoying <laughs> it. So the answer is Braddy, um, but we didn't have to see any of them. But now I'm going to look them up and see which one we'd actually like. Daniel, and maybe uh, next time I have some Porsche beers with you, we can listen to these bands and see which one we would actually pick knowing what they sound like. You can't wait to throw on that Braddy album. <laughs> oh man <laughs> banger after banger uh daniel where can people find you and if you want to drop the names or where people can eventually find these um podcasts that are going to be coming out the true story of the fake zombies podcast will be out hopefully before the end of the year uh the iron butterfly podcast which is called in the garden of eden also hopefully out by the end of the year you can find me on twitter where i mostly just post um the dumbest things I can think of that day uh, at Daniel Ralston. I don't use it for much self-promotion oh, or anything I thought, like that. I thought the lesson was never to tweet. It's never to tweet anything that has any importance in your life. I mostly go on there and post memes about uh, like listening to Andrea Bocelli music and stuff like that. I just uh, don't really look at Twitter as any sort of vehicle towards uh, my success or failure in writing. It's just a thing where people can see me if they want to know what's going on. Well, definitely follow Daniel so you can know when those podcasts come out because I know I'll be listening to them. JD just heard about them and he's already pre-downloaded. I'm in for both. It's not a thing. But if it is, he would be doing it. Uh, All right, everyone, remember to check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash isthisgood. If you have topics, email us at isthisgoodpod at gmail.com. Rate us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on YouTube. Thanks for listening. Thanks to JD. Thanks to Daniel for coming on. Thanks in advance for leaving a five-star review. For everyone, I'm Matt Austin, and this was good. We'll see you next week.